Oh, good evening, everyone. Good to see you all. We are in the middle of a three-week series on the topic of work. Uh, a brief recap on what we looked at last week and, and a brief introduction to where we'll be going next week. So last week we looked at the topic of work from creation to the new creation, how we were made to work. Work is good, but work has been destroyed, um, corrupted because of the fall and so it leaves us dissatisfied, unfulfilled. But then in, in the talk last week we considered how we now have the work of God to do and that is uh, to believe in the one. And so in him we actually find our identity, our fulfilment in a way that work can never fulfil us. So that's last week, big picture of work. Today we'll be looking at work as worship, as part of our life of worship, what that means and how we can conduct our, uh, conduct our work and how we go about our work. And then next week we'll be looking specifically at the topic of the work of the Lord. Is there a, a distinction in gospel work? Is there a priority in gospel work? So that's next week. But this week, work as worship. And so as we come to this topic, it is a topical topic or a doctrinal uh, talk, which means that we'll go and flick and look at various passages of the Bible. So if you're a quick flicker, do that. Otherwise, I'll have it on the screen as well. Uh, but... Big topic, a lot of us work, we spend a lot of time at work, so we want God to help us to be good workers in this world. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we consider this topic tonight on work and what it means to be a worker in this world under you, we pray that you will help us to think clearly and to behave rightly and to live out our life working in a way that honours you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, have you ever wondered... Is the course that I'm studying at the moment at university, at TAFE, the course that God has called me to? I wonder whether that's your vocabulary, the language that you would use. Or have you ever wondered, is the job I'm doing at the moment, or the company I'm working at or for, is that the job that God wanted me to do? Is that what God has called me to? Is this God's plan for my life? Is this God's calling for me? You hear that language a lot amongst Christian circles. And if I haven't yet discovered what my calling is, is that then something I have to try to work out? Is it something that I have to try to decipher? And so people try to decipher what God's calling is for them in the workplace, in Korea, in all sorts of different ways. Is it to listen to the sort of inner voices? Or the inner promptings of the heart, the, the feelings of butterflies in the stomach. Um, is that how God shows us what we're meant to do? Or, you know, you can think about all sorts of stuff of what happens inside. It could just be indigestion and we say that's God's calling. But how are we meant to decipher and work out what God's calling is? Or is it something I'm meant to work out? Well, I wonder whether this is the way you think about work. What is God's calling for me? And in Christian circles, many people do think this way. What is God's calling for my job? Not just for my job, but who I date, who I marry, where I live. What is God's calling? And so for many, many Christians, in fact, we become so confused and even paralysed trying to work out what God's calling is. But tonight we're going to consider what the Bible actually teaches what the Bible teaches about the way we should think about work and whether work is a calling. Is there a specific calling for each one of us? And is it something that we're meant to try to work out and decipher? Well, these are the questions we'll be considering today. So let's think about it. What is it that God is really calling us to? So if we work through the pages of the Bible and 
pick out all the words of calling, what is it that God is really calling us to? What is it that God's really interested in? What is it? Is it our jobs? Well, it's worth considering the type of jobs we find in the pages of the scriptures. What are the people of the Bible called to, if we use that language? Well, let's consider Adam. What was he? He was a gardener. A gardener. King David, what was he? He was a shepherd. And the Apostle Paul, when we go to the New Testament, what was his job? He did the dirty job of being a tent maker. And then what did Jesus do for work? What was the job for the Son of God? Well, the Son of God, Jesus, he came as a carpenter. Now, if you think about these jobs mentioned in the Bible, they're not exactly the high-paying, esteemed and prestigious jobs that we would like to call our calling. They're all blue-collar jobs, if you haven't realised. Manual labour, menial tasks, hands-on work. You see, in, in Greek culture, those who use their hands for work the labourers, manual labourers, the carpenters, blacksmiths, bakers, farmers, or the blue-collar jobs, in Greek culture they considered those type of hands-on work as less important than those jobs that only use the mind. And so in Greek culture they valued very highly the philosophers, the great thinkers. They were seen as far more noble, those who use the mind, than those who use their hands for work. And so to use your hands in the Greek culture in the Roman world, was to be like a beast. And so they were reserved for the slaves. They were the ones who did the manual labour. The elite of society, what did they do? Well, they got themselves involved in just thinking, thinking philosophy, doing art, thinking about politics. And so back in that time, people thought manual labour, manual tasks, less important. Thinking work, more important. And I suspect that's the same today. Same way of thinking exists today, especially, not around the world, not everywhere, but especially among wealthy Western Christians. And so if God is to call me, what's the language people use? What is it that people say God calls them to? Often it's always the noble, white-collar, professional, prestigious, high-paying jobs. Have you realised that? You know, you hear people people say, well, God has called me to become a politician or God has called me to become a diplomat or corporate leader, a QC, a surgeon. But have you ever heard any Christian speak this way? God has called me, this is my calling, to wipe down tables at food courts. Ever heard people say that? Or God has called me to clean toilets at shopping centres. Or God has called me to be a garbage collector. Now, you, you don't hear that language, do you? But just imagine and just think about how important those jobs are. You're at the shopping centre, no one's wiping down tables, the toilets aren't clean. You'll get diseases from that. It'll be a filthy place. You see how important those roles are. But you don't hear that amongst Christian circles. God's calling often always is the high-paying, white-collar, prestigious jobs. But why? Why is it that people don't speak about... God calling them to these type of jobs. It's because it's Western consumerism. We're thinking wealthy Western Christians, white-collar, professional, esteemed jobs. That's what we want our calling to be. But what is it the Bible says? What is it the Bible teaches? What is it that God thinks? How is the term calling used in Scripture? 
Well, firstly, what we find is that when God calls people, he doesn't call them to a job. He doesn't, in fact, call them to to a profession or a vocation. He calls unbelievers to become believers. That is the calling of God. He calls sinners to become followers of Jesus. Those are the things that God is concerned about. And so in the Gospel, the calling language is an invitation from Jesus often to follow Jesus. And so we see in Matthew 22, for many are called, it's called to what? To to be a carpenter? No. To be a labourer? No. It's called to follow Jesus. But few are chosen. So the language in the Gospel, calling is an invitation. But in the epistles, the calling language is always effective. When God calls, God saves. It is effective. It is a call to salvation. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, the calling language of Scripture is a call to salvation, from unbeliever to believer, from sinner to disciple of Jesus. You see, in 1 Corinthians there, that passage But we don't read here, God has called you into the high-paying accounting role at the big five. He calls you in fellowship, to be in fellowship with his son. Or Philippians chapter 3, I press on toward the goal, this is Paul speaking, to win the price for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What is the calling of God? It is to salvation. It is to heaven. They they are the things God is concerned about. And so what I'm hoping this will do is help us put into perspective. We are, in a sense, in a world, in a society, and we can't help ourselves so obsessed with career, with what we will make out of ourselves, what we will do, how much we will earn, how high we can climb up the corporate ladder. We are obsessed with this, but that's not the thing that God is obsessed with. He is interested in our salvation. He calls us to salvation. But secondly, when God calls, he, he doesn't merely call us to be saved. You're saved now, you've crossed the line, be a Christian, you're good and that's it. No, he calls us to Christ's likeness. He doesn't want to simply save you and leave you in your filthy, sinful self. But when he calls you, he calls you to salvation and Christ's likeness, to be like Jesus. And in the wonderful passage from Romans 8, we read this, this puts it as clearly as possible. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called, that language there, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined he also called, those he called he also justified, those he justified he also glorified. You see, the calling language of scripture what we're actually seeing is that we misuse it. Scripture, the calling language, is about salvation, it's about Christ-likeness. That is the calling of God. You want to know what God's calling is? Don't try to decipher it and work out what's happening inside. That's just indigestion, probably. God's calling is clear. It's here in Scripture. He calls you to be saved, to be with him, to be more like Jesus. You can't get any clearer than that. That's the calling of God. And so in the New Testament... We are called first and foremost not to a job. Remember, we're in a society, in a world so obsessed with our career. 
But God, first and foremost, calls us not to a job, but to follow Jesus and to be like Jesus. It's a call to be faithful, obedient to Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. That is the calling of God. That is what is important to God. And it's a far higher calling than what job I do, what career I might have. That's a far higher calling. That's what's important to God and that should be what's important for us as well. And so you can see here how strange it is when Christians especially stress out about trying to work out what job God wants us to do. We try to decipher it and think of all sorts of things, try to do what Gideon did, trying to work out from all sorts of ways and promptings and feelings. Well, well, we don't need that. God is far more interested that you grow in Christ-likeness. God wants us to be faithful disciples in whatever job you do. See, in one sense he's saying, it doesn't really matter what job you do. You can be an accountant, an engineer, a plumber, an electrician, it doesn't really matter. What God's interested in is that as you conduct that work, as you do that job, you do it like Christ. You honour Christ as you do that. And so God wants us to be faithful disciples and so to make life decisions that would enable us to grow more like Christ, to be more faithful disciples. That is the calling of God and it is a high calling, far higher than often we think, far higher. So if God's calling then for us is primarily about our salvation and our Christ-likeness, what then are we to make of our jobs? We still have to work. Now, when I talk about work in this series, I mean both paid and unpaid work, okay? You don't, you don't have to be paid for it to be work. A mother's role is very important, very hard. Hard work. I can never do a mother's job. It is hard work and it is work, even though it's not paid. But when we think now about our jobs, our vocations, does it mean then that God's really only interested in our Christian life, in our churchy life. And so God's really only interested when we come to church or when we join the Bible study or when we teach Sunday school or youth group or when we read the Bible and pray. Is that the, are they the only realms in which God is interested in? Is God also interested in, interested in our working life, our nine-to-five job, whatever work that might be? Is God interested in my work as, as an engineer or as an accountant or whatever that might be? Or is my life, in fact, divided? God is interested in my sacred life, but then I've got this secular life on the side. What is it? What is God interested in? Well, in thinking about this divide, this is a historical divide that, that many believe. There's the secular life, the secular time, and then there's the sacred life, the sacred time. Well, in thinking about this divide, we really do need to thank the reformers, Martin Luther especially, You see, during the medieval time, there was this clear divide. The sacred jobs that people did were were the priests, the nuns, the bishops, the pope. That was sacred, that was special, that was set apart. And then you had the secular jobs, the bakers, the hands-on blacksmiths, that was the secular work. And so the religious work in the medieval time, that was exalted, that is special, that is religious, that is sacred but then the secular work that was seen as unimportant. And so the sacred time then was the Sundays when you go to church and the secular time, well, that was the rest of the week when you did your day job. 
And so that's the Sunday-Monday divide, the sacred-secular divide. Now the reason why in the medieval time they thought this way was really because of their misunderstanding of salvation. They misunderstood salvation. They thought to, to get salvation you have to earn it, you have to merit it. And so one historian, Lee Hardy, he, he said this, it was generally held that monks by taking the monastic vows and submitting to the rigours of the cloister's life could actually merit special divine favour and thereby make eternal salvation secure. So that was what they thought. They had this, this belief that you work for your salvation, you earn it and so that's why they prize those sacred jobs, the priests, the nuns, the bishop. But Martin Luther, he wrestled with this idea. This can't be. He wrestled with the idea, a big topic, on justification. How are you made right with God? How can you have a relationship with God? And he came to scriptures which taught that you can only be right with God. You can only be justified with God. You can only have a relationship with God by grace, which means it is free. You can only have a relationship with God freely, by grace, through faith, by believing. Your jobs will not merit you any salvation. Your jobs will not help. So it doesn't matter whether you were a priest or nun or bishop. It will not help with your salvation. Your works cannot do anything. And that understanding from scripture actually changed everything. If religious works of the priests and nuns did nothing to secure their salvation, then what that did was it broke away that sacred versus secular divide. There was no more, no, no more of that divide, that barrier was taken away. If anything now, what happens now, for those who do believe, your whole life is sacred. There's no secular time and sacred time. Your whole life becomes sacred because the Son of God died for you, redeemed you for him, you belong to him, you have a spiritual life, you are sacred. Your whole life, every day of the week, it is sacred because you belong to him. And so what Martin Luther did was he took away the sacred versus secular divide. It is all sacred if you belong to Jesus. And so Martin Luther made that clear and and so he said it's wrong to think then that I have my sacred time on Sunday and my secular time the rest of the week and it's wrong to think I have the secular uh, sacred jobs and then the secular jobs. That is the wrong way to think. And it's wrong to think then that it is more godly to do some jobs than others. And so he taught, it is not more godly to be the minister or the pastor than being an engineer, or it's not more godly to be, be the missionary than being an accountant. Do you see what's happening? The sacred secular divides are taken away. All put on par. You all can act and live in a godly way, honouring God despite what you do. doesn't matter what job you did. There was no sacred secular divide. And so what that did was it liberated everyone. We can actually all serve God, love God, honour God in whatever we did, whatever job we did. There's no special role just for some people. There's no sacred role just for some people. And so that sacred, secular divide was done away with because the reformers read the scriptures and we'll come to one of the passages. But more than that, because there is now no more sacred versus secular divide, my whole life becomes important. It becomes part of my life of worship, of honouring God, the whole of my life. Not just my working life, but the whole of my life. 
And Martin Luther, he really wanted to make this clear. You worship God all the time as you seek to live and lead the godly life in all that you do, in the place that God has placed you, in the, in the life that God has given you. And so Martin Luther, he said this. He said, Why should I not therefore freely with all my heart and with an eager will give myself as a Christ to my neighbour, just as Christ offered himself to me, since through faith I have an abundance of all good things in Christ. And so what he's saying is that I can, I can be godly in all I do, in every task, in even the menial tasks, even the mundane tasks of life. And so being a husband, being a wife, being a mother, being a farmer, mopping the floors, changing the nappies, all of that becomes part of your life of worship of God. It is all sacred, it is all important. You can mop the floor in a way that honours God. You can mow the lawn in a way that honours God. And so that was Martin Luther, what he was trying to say. We'll see where he got that in the scriptures in a moment. And so how you loved, how you served, how you lived, your everyday life was the heart of your Christian devotion. There was no special time to be Christian. You are Christian all the time. It was not just during your job, it was all the time. And so where did Martin Luther get that idea from? Well, no longer this sacred secular divide. Well, he got it from our second reading in Romans chapter 12. We read just the first verse here. Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, in view of what God has done for you, in saving you through his son Jesus, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. You see, in what Jesus has done, he has purchased you by his blood. You belong to him now. You don't belong to you. David Cook, the great Australian preacher, he says, you don't have your life, your life belongs to him. It's not your ambition anymore, it is his ambition. Your life belongs to him because he purchased you, he's redeemed you. And so now offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Not, not a dead one like animals of the temples of the Old Testament. Not a dead sacrifice, but a living sacrifice, your whole life, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. You see, what that does with our life as Christians is not just your Sunday life, it is not just your working life, it is not just your private devotion life that, that is sacred and is meant to be an act of worship, it is your whole life. You're meant to be a living sacrifice. That is your spiritual act of worship. And so there's no longer this divide. All of life is important. All of life is important. And so, and so what we see here then is that you can be holy and you can serve God in whatever job you do. So do you see what that does? It's meant to liberate us. We're meant, not meant to be, uh, get caught up and stressed out and try to work out, is this the right one for me? Is this God's calling? Well, that's beside the point. You can honour God in whatever job you do. You can love God in whatever job you could do. You can be holy in whatever job you do. And so what this then means for us is that I not only behave and be godly on Sundays around Christians when I think God is watching. Now I wonder whether Christians behave that way. I wonder whether some of us here behave that way. Sunday I'm nice, I'm good, I'm kind, I'm extra patient, but then come Monday I'm back to my sinful, lazy self. 
But if our whole life is meant to be part of our life of worship, of honouring God, of loving him, of giving worth to him, then I continue to live godly life after I leave the church door. Come Monday, I'll be the same in my character, in my patience, in my godliness. There's no difference in a sacred day than a non-sacred day. It is all important. And so, rather than think about you know, the, the seven-day week as like a triangle, where Sunday's the pinnacle, the point where we, we, we worship God, where we uh, do good, where we be godly, rather than think that way, or rather than think, oh, let's just bring Sunday down like it's like the every other day of the week, what we do as Christians is we actually bring the whole week up. We worship God all the time, not just on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday as well. We bring the whole week up to God. Now, this is not to take away the uniqueness of Sunday because this is when the church gathers. That is important. We must not deny that and we must not uh, uh, devalue that. Sunday is important, but we don't stop worshipping God after we leave the church door Sunday evening. But what this also means for us is that we must think of vocation, not merely as our nine-to-five job. It's a, sort of like, a, in a sense, a wrong way of thinking the vocation that God has placed you. We must think of our vocation as our whole life package, our station in life that God has given us, the place that God has placed us. God placed you where you are with your responsibilities because God placed you there. That is your station in life. And so in all our responsibilities, I'm meant to do what God has given me to do, the responsibilities for me to be responsible over. And so I don't only work hard now in my job as a minister, for example, but I work hard in my responsibility as a husband, as a father, as a son, as a brother, as a citizen of this country. That is my life package. It's not just work. Work is only one piece of the bigger puzzle, you see. It is my whole life package. And you will have your own life package. Your life package is, in a sense, your vocation. That is what God has given you. That is where God has placed you. And in your whole life package, that is, in a sense, our calling to honour God, to worship God in all that we do. And so if you think about life this way and work as part of the bigger picture, it's really a sacred endeavour that we're on. Not meant to decipher what job God has in store. No, we, this is my life now. I love God now. I worship God now in all my responsibilities. I do it in a way that is Christ-like. That is my calling, you see. And so what are we called to? Well, think about this calling language again, we are called to salvation and we are called to Christ-likeness. That is God's calling to you, for you. And how do we live? Well, we live as living sacrifices. Every day of the week, we live as living sacrifices. That is our spiritual act of worship. And so, how then does knowing that affect the way we go about our nine-to-five job or even the unpaid work? How do we go about it? Here I'll finish off saying six things and I'll say them quite quickly. Principles for work. So we thought about calling. It is bigger than just our work. We thought about how we actually live our life. It is all sacred to the honour of God. Now let's consider work. Six principles. First, we work in whatever field 
Whatever job you're doing, whatever job God has given you, wherever God has placed you, we work so that we can love and serve. Loving and serving is always other people-centred. We work so that we love and serve. We were made to work, remember, last week. Work is good. And we work, work is one way in which we show love and service. It is one way in which we build community. And so doctors, for example. You don't have to be a Christian to be a good doctor. Doctors do a tremendous work in our health care. Police officers, you don't have to be a Christian at all to do good work as a police officer. officer. They do wonderful work in protecting our community. Accountants do wonderful work, helpful work, doing all those crazy tax returns that we don't understand. Taxi drivers, they do a wonderful work in supporting, in uh, serving our community. Even garbage collectors, important, important work for our health, for our well-being, for our household. You see, they are all good work because they serve. They are an expression of love to the community and you don't have to be a Christian to do that. It is good work because it loves and it serves. And so that gives us clarification what will be a bad work, bad job. Bad jobs are then those that break down community, that do not show love or service. And so, for example, prostitution, it breaks communities. That is bad work. Drug trafficking, that breaks down communities. That is bad work. Gambling and casino, that is bad work. That breaks down community. That is bad work. And so good work then are those that love and serve community. That is how we see usefulness in our work. That is how we can see that there is something good in our work. It is doing something good for community. And that is how we can honour God. And so what this means then for us is that if work is to love and serve, then we do it well. We do a good job in our jobs. We work hard in our jobs. We work extra hard in our jobs. We do it well. We love and serve community through the jobs we're doing. And we only do it well, we only love well, we only serve well if we are competent in our jobs. And so if you are an accountant, you do that well. You do your sums well. You don't be shifty and dodgy. You know, if you're a doctor, you study hard, you do that well so that you don't give the wrong medication, you know, some hormones to some other person and it messes things up. If you're a pilot, you know, all the, you make sure you know all the buttons. You do that job well. You want to land safely. You see, whatever job you're doing, you be competent at it. You do it well, you work hard. That is how you love and serve through your job. And so whatever you do, you can do it. You must, as Christians, do that well. And that's because for us Christians, we read this before in Ephesians, our work is not just there so that we can get a pay packet. It's not just there for our boss who wants to earn a profit. We work as to working for the Lord. Remember that passage, our first reading? Ephesians chapter 6. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eyes is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you will know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does. Typo there whether he is a slave or free. And so you see the principle here is clear. If you work, you do it well. You work hard because you are in fact serving God, working for God. 
even when the boss is not there. I mean, this could be a, a, a wake-up call for some of us. When the boss is not there, do you work uh, in a lazy way? Do you quickly put your computer screen onto something else? When the boss is not there, you continue to work hard. You don't slack off. You don't be lazy, become lazy. You don't only just start working when the boss comes through. You see, that will be not just deceiving the boss, but it's in fact trying to deceive Christ, which is not possible at all. And when we are found out for being lazy slack, as Christian workers, it doesn't only bring shame to us, it brings shame to Christ, the name we bear. You see, even as I reflect on my own work, you know, people have that joke, ministers, you just work one day a week, such an easy job, isn't it? So cruisy, Sunday we see you. What, what's, a, what's a joke? You're, you're invisible the rest of the week, you're incomprehensible on Sunday, so what do you do? But you see, as I reflect on the work of a minister, we can get away with a lot. We can get away with a lot. I just have to see you one day a week and it looks like I've done some work. And I can get away with a lot. But you see, I'm serving God. Just like you, in your role, you're serving God. So, we must work in a way that loves and serves. And so, if it's not loving or serving, it's for selfish ambition, for selfish gain, then it's not good work. But the goodness of work, the attitude to work, is to see it as a way to love and serve. Secondly, the others will be a lot quicker. We work to reflect God's character and to imitate Christ's likeness. It's not just what we do with our hands, with our minds, but in who we are as a person. We are to reflect God's character. We are to imitate Christ. So the way we go about our work the way we relate to those around us, our colleagues. We must be reflecting the character of God in goodness, in holiness, in patience, in compassion, in mercy, in integrity, in responsibility, in love, in grace, in joy, in humility. We are meant to reflect the character of God in our jobs. Not just in our jobs, in fact, our whole life, but in our jobs. We are to reflect the character of God. And so, you, if you are a Christian and you are working, you should be the joy of the workplace. Your colleagues should love to see you there. They should love to work with you. And if you are a boss, a Christian boss, then your staff should love to work for you. They will want to work harder for you because you are so good and generous and kind to them. You see, Christian workers should be one of the best workers around because we are reflecting the character of God. And so, bad work would then be to not reflect God's character, to work for greed, for selfish ambition, for pride. That would be bad work. Good work would be to reflect God's character and Christ's likeness. Third, we work to provide and share. You earn something when you work, and it is good. It is part of your wages. And the Bible is quite clear. You work so that you can eat. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. Pretty clear, isn't it? You don't work, you don't eat. You're lazy, you starve. And so work, we work so that we can live. We work so that we can provide and share. Work is not a selfish endeavour. It's not just for me and to consume, to gain, to get. It's not just for me. It's in fact to provide and to share. And so those who earn much can give much, can share much, and it is a blessing to be able to do that. 
And so we are to provide for our families, for our church, for the needy, for the poor. And the Bible puts it quite bluntly in 1 Timothy. If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And so if you are a father, a mother, if you've got responsibility for a household, and you don't work, you just slack. You, you live off the government, off the dole. You just slack, you don't really provide. Well, that's, that's terrible. That is terrible. <clears throat> You're meant to provide and meant to share. And in Ephesians 4, we must work doing something useful with our own hands that we may have something to share with those in need. Do you see the purpose of work here? It's not just doing something useful so that I can eat and get better stuff and more stuff. It's so that I have something to share with others in need. And so that's a good uh, principle to remember. We work so that we can provide and share and it is good for Christians out of our love for people in this world, out of our love for our neighbours, to put a proportion of what we earn for the poor, for the needy. Not talk about gospel ministry, for the poor. That is a good thing. Okay, so we have a responsibility to work. And it's shocking, I've heard this one story of a father here in Australia, and I suspect it happens quite widely. He's in his 50s, still young enough to work, but because at that stage he couldn't find work as good as his previous job or as high paying as his previous job. He didn't want sort of a lower, less professional job. This father decided he's going to stop working and he's going to say, I'm retired. And he did that. But he still needs to live, still got rent to pay, bills to pay. And so what did this father do? Well, in that household, he's got two daughters and a son. He gets his two older daughters, who are young adults working, to pay for all the household expenses and to pay for the brother's education. And what type of father is that? You should work so that you can provide and share. And so work is good when we can provide and share. Fourth, it is so that we can give and invest. Now Jesus puts this clearly in his teachings where we are to invest our our utmost efforts and, and even finances. They are to the things that will last for all eternity. And so Jesus says in Matthew 6, Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. So you work so that you can invest in things that last. And by implication, one of the implications will be towards gospel ministry. That is what changes lives. That is what saves lives. That is what gives people an eternal life with God. Invest in gospel ministry and more on that next week. Fifth, work so that you can rest and enjoy taking a break, having a holiday. They are part of God's good provision for us to enjoy creation, to delight in God's goodness. They should not be frowned upon when people enjoy a holiday, a weekend, delight in creation and delight in God's blessings. And so it is to be enjoyed, rest and and play and, and leisure. But a principle here is that in the right proportion, The proportion given to us in scripture is you work six days, you rest one day in your life. Work six, rest one. You don't work too much that you don't rest and you don't play too much that you don't work at all. That's the right proportion. But we can enjoy when we we do rest and play. So you work hard 
And when you do come to play and enjoy, you play hard, you enjoy hard, but in the right proportion. Finally, in all our work, just like all our life, it is for the glory of God. It is part of how we are to live out our lives in as a living sacrifice. And so, final verse I want you to have a look at. 1 Corinthians. So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever you do, you do it all for the glory of God. And so, that should change your mindset. Come Monday, as I work as a lawyer, as an accountant, as a doctor, as a gardener, as a nurse, as an engineer, I do that work for the glory of God. I'm honouring God in my job. I do it well for the glory of God. I love and serve in it for the glory of God. I reflect God's character for the glory of God. I work so that I can earn, so that I can share and provide and give and invest for the glory of God. It is all for the glory of God. And so to put it in right perspective, we as Christians, we don't worship work. We don't worship our work, but we see our work as part of our worship of God, just like every other aspect of our life. It is part of our worship of God. And so finally, what does it mean then to live out our calling? Well, we live out our calling in the Gospel by faithfully and wholeheartedly living for Jesus in our jobs and in the rest of our life. And I pray that that is for us, our case here. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you have redeemed us in your Son, Jesus, for you, to live for you, to honour you, to worship you. And so help us to see that we are to do that in all aspects, in all corners of our life, not just our Sunday time, but every day of the week, not just our home time, but even in our working life, to worship you to live out our life as a living sacrifice. And we pray, Lord, that you enable us and encourage us to do so. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, um, we have two questions uh, for tonight, John. Um, We'll take the first one. Uh, if our calling slash work is to glorify God, then what does it mean in Genesis 1 to rest and not work? Well, our calling is to remember to salvation, to Christ-likeness, so that encapsulates all our lives. So in our working life, in our leisure life, in all our life, we honour God. So as I work, I can glorify God in that. As I rest and enjoy God's good provision and blessings, I actually glorify God. I'm actually enjoying, thankful to God. So, so you actually glorify God in all of life, in work and rest. Thank you. Yeah. Good. And the second one is, uh, is whatever occupation we end up in, God's will for us, or do we need to find the right one? Yeah, that's a great question. So similar to the calling idea, I don't think I need to work out what God's calling is for me. God's calling is clear. Be a Christian first if you're not, and grow like Christ if you're not. Become a Christian, grow like Christ. That is God's calling, that is clear. And so where we end up, in a sense, it doesn't matter all too much. So we're so stressed out that God only has this one plan for us. Whatever situation we find ourselves, we glorify God in it. We live for him. And so in a sense, God's will is 
whatever life stage you're in. So whatever you're at, you're a student now, you're single, you're married, that is God's will for you now. So live it out now for Christ. So it's meant to be that simple. <laughs> Don't decipher what's the future as a whole. Your life now, live it out for God now. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Thanks John.